friends, tonight I'd like to unpack three characteristics, three qualities that a believer is invited to possess as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Now, before I do that, I'd like to first discuss briefly some ideas around what the kingdom of heaven is. Jesus tells his disciples, and by extension us today, to seek the kingdom of God as a priority in our lives. He tells the disciples not to pursue food. God will feed you just as he feeds the birds. Don't pursue possessions like clothes. Even the flowers are clothed in beauty, and they come and go with the seasons. No, Jesus says not to worry about these things. Do not preoccupy yourselves with the distractions of these temporal things. Instead, seek the kingdom of God, and all these will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Well, then, what is the kingdom of God? We could spend easily the remaining evening services from now till Christmas, and we would just be getting started on such a large topic. But it doesn't get much, much more simple than this. You got to lean in for this revelation. The kingdom of God is simply put, a kingdom where God is king. You interns, you might get that third year internship. You stick around, you get that one. You came here for free. His kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom is contrary to how the world operates. Some have called this the upside-down kingdom, as it seems to go in every opposite direction that our flesh or the world wants to go. To become great, you must serve. To be first, you must be last. And to live life fully, you must deny yourself. The majority of all religions talk about some form of afterlife, and obviously Christianity does too. We all hold a similar view that heaven is an external place where the soul finds rest in paradise. However, the kingdom of God, which is also called the kingdom of heaven, that is talked about in scripture is different. There are far more teachings from Jesus about this present kingdom of heaven than there are about a future heavenly paradise that we as believers will go to one day after death. Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom of heaven is an internal present reality. The gospel is less about getting to heaven and more about getting heaven inside of you. With that, let me open in prayer and we'll keep going. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you, Father, just for the honor it is to share with your church. And I just thank you, uh, yeah, that our eyes would be open to the kingdom of heaven. That Holy Spirit, you have your way in this place, that we'd be encouraged first and foremost and just challenged to, to pursue you with everything. Amen. All right, so this kingdom is given to us by Father God. It's modeled and demonstrated by Jesus Christ. And we're able to access this kingdom through the Holy Spirit. First, the Father. The Father gives us the kingdom. It's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. In Luke 12, 30 to 32, For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Our Heavenly Father gives us the kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven is demonstrated and modeled by Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches that this kingdom of God multiplies and reproduces after its kind. Jesus uses the illustration of a farmer sowing seeds to show this. Jesus likens the kingdom to a mustard seed that starts off so tiny but grows into a large tree. Jesus teaches that this kingdom is of exceedingly high worth. He describes it as a valuable hidden treasure or a fine pearl. And with this teaching, he also speaks of the letting go of worldly possessions in order to possess the kingdom. Jesus teaches that in the kingdom, we are to be waiting and ready. 
and he uses a very odd parable to me about 10 virgins and lamps. That one seems oddly culturally specific or to that time period, I'm not too sure. Jesus teaches that children are welcome in the kingdom and that theirs is the kingdom. He teaches that the least in the kingdom is greater than all the former prophets or men of God that we read about in the Old Testament. Friends, there's so much more. I just picked a few examples here of Jesus's direct teachings about the kingdom, but you can read those in the gospels. The father gives us the kingdom. Jesus taught and modeled the kingdom. And we live in this kingdom through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 17. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Galatians 6, 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The Father gives us the kingdom. Jesus modeled and taught the kingdom. And by the Spirit, we operate in this kingdom. And with that, I'd like to focus specifically on three qualities the believer is able to possess as a citizen of this kingdom. Now, as the early church began to grow, as we can all probably too easily relate to, complaints and concerns started to rise up. Put your hand up if you cause complaints and concerns in the church. No, don't put your hand up. Honesty. If that's you, just stop it. You see there, there was this awkward tension of new converts to Christianity from both Jews and Gentiles. People who knew God and those who didn't, all coming together in Christ. With this, there were severe cultural clashes, and things like what you ate and what you drank were starting to dominate the conversations. Paul had to address this. I think I've got this one up on the slide here. Romans 14, 15 to 18. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not eating, and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. It's these three attributes of God's kingdom I'd like to look at further. Righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Now to be righteous is to be made right. We are righteous as Christians because of what Jesus did. We are righteous because God in heaven chose to reveal himself to us as Father, and to personally make a way to restore a right relationship with him. Now righteousness is acting right. Righteousness is now outworking this positional and relational truth, working out of this right relationship with our Heavenly Father. You do not act right to get to God. Now hear me, church, in your worst case scenario, in your depth of loneliness and despair, while you were running from God, our Father in Heaven chose to make you right by sending his only Son, by taking on flesh and taking the penalty of your wrong relationship to grant you a right one. Now I see the beauty of who God is. I see his great love for me. And as an outward expression, I yield to Holy Spirit to change me. And now I desire to live right now that I am right. Does that make sense? You know the verse we love because he first loved us. Similarly, we act right because he made us right. That's righteousness. 
This is going back quite a few years now. I used to ride a really old motorcycle back in Canada. For those who know my driving abilities, that obviously wasn't a very safe choice for me. You know, yeah. the province I'm from in Canada is called Ontario, and it has extremely high mandatory insurance, which is really a ripoff because in Canada, you can only drive about four or five months out of the year. The rest is covered in snow. But they, pay, they make you pay all year. So I bought my brother's motorcycle off of him for 500 bucks. Insurance for this would cost me over $3,000. My brother, however, had a sweet-ass job working at the hospital, and for whatever reason, a perk of this job was cheap motorcycle insurance. He would only have to pay $300 a year for that exact same bike. So what I did was not technically stealing. What I did was I kept the ownership of the motorcycle in my brother's name, and should a cop pull me over, I would just simply say I was borrowing my brother's motorcycle. See, Canadians were cheap and clever. Me and my brother shook on it, and we were off. <laughs> me and my brother shook on it, and we were off with our, uh, we were fine with our gentleman's agreement. During the winter months, I took apart my bike right down to the engine. I was replacing the engine seals in anticipation for the warmer weather to start riding again. Actually, with this reason, I was grateful for the long winter months because I made a mess of the bike, but I had enough time to get it all back together. So now it's springtime. I've got my bike back together with great difficulty. I go put my license plate back on my bike, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And he says, don't steal motorcycle insurance. You see, during that winter, I began to pursue God in a new way. I want to know him. I want to learn to hear his voice and be led by his spirit. God says, don't steal insurance. And like any Christian with a clear conscience, I just simply argued back. I'm not really stealing insurance. It's more of a gray area, God. Word of advice, you probably won't win an argument with God. The silence that fell after left me with only two options. Pay the $3,000 for my own insurance or stop riding the bike. Well, I sold my bike very shortly after that encounter, and I was grateful for the work that God was doing in my life. You see, as we seek God's kingdom, the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. Jesus taught that after he leaves this earth, he'll send another like him. The Holy Spirit who will convict the world of three things. John 16, 8 to 11. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Real quick, these are just some interesting thoughts. Jesus here says that sin is a belief issue and that judgment is not against us or our neighbor, but against the ruler of this world, Satan. However, righteousness here, Jesus says that the Spirit will convict us of righteousness. Why? Well, because he isn't here to show us. He's gone to be with the Father. We can read the Gospels and get some understanding of what Jesus did in situations, but there are many things not discussed. Now, to all the young adults here born in the, the early 90s, you remember those bracelets that people would walk around with? WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's what righteousness in the Holy Spirit answers. What would Jesus do with his, what would Jesus do with his insurance riding his brother's motorcycle? I obviously couldn't find a verse for that, but the Holy Spirit convicted me of righteousness. Jesus would not be living his life in a gray area just for the fun of a ride or cheap insurance. He would choose one, ride and pay, or get off the bike and sell. What would Jesus do? in your present circumstance. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal this one to you. The kingdom of heaven is not about what you eat or what you drink, and it's not about living your life in a gray area, but it's about righteousness 
in the Holy Spirit. We are now righteous, producing righteousness in us, and the fruit of righteousness is peace. Peace. Some of you parents may be able to relate to this. Over 20 years ago, my older brother had a brain abscess, and he was in critical care in the hospital. The doctors didn't know what caused us, and to make things worse, they said that he might not make it through the evening. Now, my dad picked me up from school, and I was young enough to not fully understand the weight of this situation. I go, I see my brother, he has tubes sticking out of him. And my parents were very concerned to obviously put it lightly, seeing their elder son on what could be his deathbed. My mom tells a story that in one moment she was terrified, like all mothers would be, but in the next moment, peace. A peace my mother cannot describe, but to this day gives God glory for it. You see, nothing changed. My brother wasn't instantly healed. The doctors didn't come back with good news. Nothing externally changed, but God was at work nonetheless. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This world cannot com comprehend or give an account for the peace that believers may walk with. Tragic circumstances may come, and any peace you have within yourself will undoubtedly be shaken away. The unshakable peace, the peace that remains, is the peace in the Holy Spirit, walking step in step with the Spirit of God. And we know it's not just tragedy that comes to seek and steal our peace. How about the unknown? Most humans like having some sense of directions and plan with their lives, yet there seems to be so many times in our life where the future is uncertain, and the flesh, it starts to act up we get a thousand and one what-ifs. You guys ever have a case of the what-ifs? What if this happens or that? What if I ask out that pretty lady and she says no? I think that's a word for some of the young adults here. Is Memma here? Memma said she wanted a shout-out for that specific line. I don't see her. <laughs> All the single guys, she's, she's willing to go on a date with anyone that breathes, she said. Don't tell her I said that. What if I lose my job? What if I can't provide? What if I misheard God's voice? What if I miss out on this opportunity? What if I step out in faith just to realize it was foolishness all along? What if I fail? What if my failure hurts those closest to me? What if, what if, what if? No, peace. Peace. Philippians 4, 6-7, Be anxious for nothing, but in, ever, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These fears and doubts are not your portion as Christians. In the Holy Spirit, you are invited to rest in peace. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about RIP six feet deep. A rest in peace just to escape this world's issues. No, rest in peace and walk in his peace. This peace is ours. And my prayer is that I might have experiential knowledge of such peace. And then why are we entitled to such peace as Christians? Because of what our God has done for us. While we are still enemies of God, Christ died for us. While there was no peace, he made peace. There is now peace, true peace, between us and God, our sins removed. The kingdom of heaven is not about what you eat or drink or even about the best cases and all your what-if scenarios, but it's about peace in the Holy Spirit.
We are now walking in righteousness. We're at peace. And the fruit of this peace is joy. Joy. A few Saturdays ago, Carl and I, we took a box of crunchies out to South Mall to celebrate our community. And just like we did here at the beginning of the service, although the community had better reasons to celebrate, it was a bit quiet in the evening service. This morning we had heaps. Any reason to celebrate at all. We had people celebrating the sunshine, celebrating being alive and healthy. We had one young man celebrating that he just finished his barista training. One of my, uh, one man, he nudged his partner to share. She was a bit nervous at first, and they shared that she was three weeks drug free. One of my favorite celebrations on the other end of the spectrum was talking to a lady who was simply celebrating that she got a free pack of smokes off the Chinaman there. Hey, we say any reason to celebrate at Elam. She got a crunchy for that one. There was one man who was celebrating something completely different. After talking to him just for a moment, it was obvious that he had another reason to celebrate. I love running into Christians on the street. He was celebrating that he had a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He was celebrating life, not just life, but life in Christ. He was celebrating the fact that Christ now lives in him. And friends, that's the reason to celebrate. That is the reason for our joy, and that is what joy is all about in the kingdom of heaven, the joy of our salvation. My sin had me eternally separated from my creator, my God, my father, and there was nothing I could do to save myself. The only way I could be saved is if the very one, God himself, whom I sinned against would take my place and die for me. And my God, he did just that. Friends, this news is better than winning the lottery, better than getting a crunchy. What a reason we have to celebrate. Jesus says that in this world, you will have troubles, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. As members of his kingdom, as we learn to operate through joy in his spirit, then you'll notice your problems start to seem so small in comparison. This is not to discredit your issues, but when your issues are put into proper context, I mean, come on. Jesus was dead, crucified, then pierced through a side with a spear, and to really make sure he was sealed away in a tomb, but we know this church, our Jesus is not dead. Three days later, he rose, death defeated. Our savior is alive, Jesus Christ rose in the flesh. He's not some ghost and it's not some nursery rhyme. Your problems aren't insignificant. They aren't being ignored, but maybe in this season, God, instead of ridding you of your problems, God wants to show you just how awesome he is through it all. You see, when you come to the place of proper understanding, then your circumstances no longer dictate your joy. More money, a house, kids, career, all of these are so far secondary to where your joy lies that you can begin to, with a pure heart, ask the Father for the things that you now desire, and it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 16, 23 to 24. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. The kingdom of heaven is not about what you eat or drink, or even about celebrating temporal wins, but it's about joy in the Holy Spirit. The worship team, you guys can join me up here now. Righteousness, peace, and joy and the Holy Spirit. Righteousness. Believe that you have been made right. You are righteous now. Yield to the Spirit 
And like King David says in Psalms 23, ask uh, the Father to lead me on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Peace. Friends, if you're struggling with a bad case of what-ifs and your peace seems wavering, then like the previous verse, choose to be anxious about nothing. But pray, talk with God. Let him know your fears, then thank him. Thank God for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Joy, with a sincere heart, ask the Father for the things you desire in the kingdom, that your joy may be overflowing. All three are internal, present kingdom realities. All three point back to Jesus' death and resurrection, and all three can only be embraced in the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, living in a gray area, best case scenarios, or temporal celebrations, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Guys, we're going to just, uh, as the team leads us in a song here just in a moment, there's two groups of people here tonight. Those that know Christ and those that don't. Those that have entered into this relationship with their Heavenly Father and are starting to grow in this kingdom and those that aren't. While the team plays, we have people up at the front here who would be happy to pray for you. If you're here today and you're here by some, uh, some chance, you're here and you don't know God, you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then as we, uh, as we worship, then feel free to come up to the front and we'd be happy to pray with you. The second group is the majority of you guys in here, and you guys are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm so glad you're here with us tonight. So while the worship team plays this song, just reflect. Reflect on those three things, righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, what would Jesus do in your present circumstance? Peace, reflect on the peace you have in Christ. And for every what-if scenario you, that pops into your head, picture Christ Jesus on that third day raising. And let the resurrection peace guide you there. Joy, ask the Father for the things that you desire in his kingdom. Write it down. Hang on to it. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom.